0: I'm so excited, God, this series that we're doing now of the blood covenant. It's a beautiful series. And I truly felt in my heart that now that we haven't partaken of Holy Communion because of lockdown, that today we are going to do so. Amen. Amen. But I also wanted to teach on it so that we can have a full appreciation of what we are doing. Communion is part of the blood covenant practices of the nine components of the blood covenant. Communion was one of them. And so today, as I go through the significance of communion, I'd like for you to listen Carefully with your heart, with your mind as well. As a child in our church, we really looked forward to the Sunday of communion. I mean, our church was usually very full on communion day. And, but I must confess that I don't think I had a full understanding of what it was about. All I knew is that people wanted to have communion. And they'd come in great numbers to come and have communion. And there's a favorite song they used to sing. E bañorilwen long little thing see di beng sabu pilo bosafe look at someone who's not singing as at my reggae di sing it with me Mutumang to man le man to Mutu man, man Mutu man ya man Yanyori Ake Ki abitua bohe Ba eta dibi. Mutu man man. Ake Look at your neighbor who didn't sing and say, We're well, not. Well, so, you know. And you know, we had this uh, elderly man in our church, on early uh, mustache. And he used to love to roll his mustache. And I always love to watch him when he sang this song, particularly when he says, I could see this man is really thirsty for communion. But we just never had an understanding and therefore never really had the full appreciation of what communion is. Partaking in Holy Communion is a powerful covenant act. Incredible. That is supernatural. And if you don't understand it, it will not bring the fruit that is expected. But before I go there, let me remind you for the purpose of those who have not been with us, and just to refresh your memories about what covenant was about. There's nine components of covenant. And all these nine components, when Jesus partook of communion with his disciples, he was actually saying to them, these truths become your heritage. These principles and these facts become part and parcel of who you are. They belong to you. They are your heritage. The first thing was there were covenant promises. When covenants were made, there were promises that were spoken. Promises that belonged to the covenant partners. In the same way, when Jesus cut covenant with us through the covenant of Holy Communion, then all the promises of life and godliness became ours. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to us, unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory so when jesus partook of holy uh, uh, of the of when jesus partook of the communion he was announcing to the disciples that through this covenant and through the covenant of my death on the cross everything that belongs to life and godliness is to be given to you you are not entering into this covenant you are not entering into this covenant and being in this covenant, you are not to stay as a people who are empty-handed and that everything that belongs to life and godliness is yours. We need to understand that God's word answers and speaks to everything concerning our life. And I love the way Peter says it because the things that God has given to us not only speak to the life that now is, but speak to the life that is to come. And so you have covenant promises. Number two, in the counting of a covenant, there was always a bloody sacrifice. Hebrews 9.12 tells us that uh, neither by the blood of goats and bulls or calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained internal redemption for us. So the blood of Jesus as a sacrifice flowed for us. So when he partook of Holy Communion, he used the wine as a symbol of his blood to say that this is a sacrifice of blood that is being sacrificed, an animal that is being sacrificed on your behalf. Symbolically, Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Number three, as we spoke last week, there would be a bloody path. When covenant was entered into, an animal would be sacrificed and it would be split right in the middle. And the two covenant partners would lay these halves of an animal side by side facing each other. And the two covenant partners would stand between the two pieces back to back. And they would walk away from each other and make a sign of an eight as they went around the pieces of the animal, and they would come back into the center, facing each other. And as they walked, they would mumble things, they would speak things. What they spoke were blessings and blessings, what you people call terms and conditions. And they would speak these words as they are moving in the shape of an eight, and as they came facing each other, they would clap their hands and be in covenant. And they were actually saying, I am pledging with my life to keep this covenant, And blood is not a symbol of death, but it's a symbol of life. They are saying, I am laying down my blood. I am laying down my life. I actually give a promise at the expense of my life. I will keep this covenant. But if I don't keep this covenant, may it be done to me what was done to this animal. So it was a serious thing and there would be a bloody path. When Jesus cut covenant with us, he walked up the bloody path of Golgotha. And even on that day, when he gave them the cup to drink, the wine was symbolizing his blood. And he was saying, this is a bloody path. Blood is not death. Blood is my life. This is how serious I am with this covenant. I'll make sure I keep this covenant, even if it costs me my life. And that's what Jesus said. Fourthly, there would be a pronouncement of blessings and curses, as I've said. Because we're in covenant with God, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us an incredible thing. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in christ you see because we are in covenant with christ because we are in christ we are blessed with all spiritual blessings tell your neighbor neighbor you are a blessed person you may not know it you are not you may not know for those of you who think lilo i'm here to tell you that you are blessed for those of you who think lena i am here to tell you that you are blessed For those of you who always say bad things, always happen to me, today I want to reverse it in the name of Jesus and say goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Why? Because we're going to partake in the covenant meal. We're going to declare again, we're going to state again, I am blessed. Somebody shout, I am blessed. Shout again, I am blessed. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I am blessed. No what it says, it says we are blessed with all, 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 all spiritual blessings in Christ. Somebody said, ah, but what does it profit spiritual blessings? Ah, there's something you don't understand. You see, in God's kingdom, things first of all start in the spirit world, and they manifest in the natural world. Oh, I'm looking at blessed people today. I don't know about you. Somebody say I'm blessed. Yeah we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're blessed at home. We are blessed in the garden. We are blessed in our investments. We are blessed at work. We are blessed in our health. We are blessed in our relationship. We are blessed in our relationship with God. We are blessed in the anointing. We are blessed in being born again. We are blessed with finances. Emma, do I have somebody in the house? We are blessed because we are protected. Somebody say I'm blessed. I am blessed. Why are we blessed? i tell you why we are blessed. Because we entered into covenant with Jesus Christ. And as a result, we are blessed. Number what? Number five, there was also a mingling of blood. What is called in the Bible a brothering. A brothering. When blood was mingled, we became brothers. Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is called the firstborn among many brethren. I don't know what my number is. Mara, I am in the family of the brothers. Hey, look at the lady next to you and say, lady, you are a brother. Look at the guy next to you and say, gentlemen, you are a bride too. So it's all equal. The men are brides and the ladies are brothers. Shabba, yaba. So there would always be a mingling of the bud. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. I didn't read it in the first service. I hope they have it loaded at the back. Colossians one fourteen okay, let me quote from verse thirteen you know it says uh, uh, who okay in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin the word redemption means to be bought out. you see, so God buys you out, but Mamelam, it says we have been we have been we have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So, Mamela, God buys you out to bring you in. You understand what I mean? So, he adopts you from one family and he puts you in another family. So, you, you were in the family of darkness. I was in the family of darkness. We are in the family of the God of this world, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. Satan was our God. Satan was our father. He was our ruler. He was our master. But Jesus came and he found us in the slave market of sin and we were right there in the prison of satan and jesus says i want that one and 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 the devil said what do you have to pay for it he said i won't even use silver and gold i will not even use anything I regard them so highly that I am willing to lay down my life for them. I'm gonna pay for them with my blood. And Jesus paid for his blood and he bought you out and he redeemed you out of slave market. And he said this is my brother and this is my sister. Can I hear a good amen? And number six, there would be a changing of names. I showed you last week how when Abram became a friend of God and made a covenant with God, God changed his name from Abraham to Abraham. And he included the name Yahweh, the the impronounceable name of God. Abraham, Yahweh. And so he took on the name of God. Listen what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. He says, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name. (laughs) Yeah that I will do. In other words, I have given you my name. You see, you have my name now. You can go and sign checks in my name. You can go and withdraw in my name. You see, and and when you ask anything in my name, I won't even send others. Myself, I will do it because I have given you my name. Oh, and why? That the Father may be glorified. Look at verse 14. He says in verse 14, and if you ask anything in my name, Oh, I'm looking at people who have the name of Christ on them. Oh, he has given us his name. He has given us his name. It's very interesting when the Christians were felt, when the believers were felt called Christians in Berea, the Bible tells us that when the people spoke about them, they were trying to mock them. Because you see, the name Christian comes from the word Christos. Jesus was Jesus the Christos. You know, it wasn't like Musa sono name and say name. Jesus Christ. No. It was Jesus the Christos. Jesus the Christos. The name Christos means the anointed one. And why is it that he was called Jesus the Christos? Because the name Jesus was a common name those days. Like you know in Brazil, they have the Jesus. Yeah. So, so in the time of Christ, there were many Jesuses I don't know if I can say it like that. But the difference with this Jesus is that this Jesus was the anointed one. This Jesus carried the power of God. So when they saw the early believers, they said, Oh, you are trying to make yourself little anointed ones. They didn't know that they are giving us the name of Christ. Oh, you have the name of Christ on you. That's why we call you a Christian. We are little anointed ones. Number seven. There would be the exchanging of gifts. Ha! When people cut covenant like we see in the case of David and Jonathan, Jonathan took off his robe, he took off his weapons, he took off his girdle and gave them to David. A robe speaks of your identity and your authority. A weapon speaks of power and protection. A girdle speaks of all your wealth and all your possessions. When we came into covenant with Christ, Jesus gave us his identity. (laughs) Because we are in covenant with him. We come to Christ as sinners. We come to Christ not born again with the nature of the devil. When we came to Christ, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a wife. He's a new creature. What has happened to him? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They have taken on a new identity. So we have put on, we've taken off the garment of sin and we have put on the garment of righteousness. We've taken off the robe of sin and we have put on the robe of righteousness because we are in covenant. Not only did he give us his robe, he gave us his weapons. For Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you should be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against spirits in the heavenly places, therefore take unto you the whole armor of God so that you should be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, you must stand. And because we are in covenant with God, we are not afraid of demonic powers. We are not afraid of Baloi. We are not afraid of those Aba Because we have the armor of God. The reason we are strong, we are not strong in ourselves. We are strong in the Lord. We are strong in the power of His might. We have put on the whole armor of God. Somebody shout and Bless! We have the armor of God. Because we are in covenant with Him. We are in covenant with Him. And number seven, number number eight, there would be a covenant meal, which is what we're going to talk about today. In a covenant meal, in the cutting of blood covenant, bread and wine would be used as symbolic elements. The bread spoke of your flesh, your body. Meaning, it represents everything that you have. And when we partake in the bread and the wine together, as covenant partners, I'm saying all that I have, everything I own, represented by the bread, everything I own is at your disposal. And then the wine... Who would partake in the wine. Wine represented the person's blood. Note. So by partaking of the wine, the person is saying, I'm not only giving you my possession, but I am putting my blood behind it. I'm not only making you a promise, but I guarantee the validity of this covenant with my own life, with my own blood. This person says, I am yours in every way. If I have to die, To keep my word, I'll die. Because when you became a covenant partner, you became one with the person. God says to Abraham, your enemies will be my enemies. That's covenant talk. Those who touch you are touching me. That is covenant talk. And so when you came into covenant, it meant if your covenant partner got in trouble, you didn't ask. You jumped into the battle. If we have to die together in battle, we will die together because I have put my blood down for the covenant. And that would be the covenant meal, which I'm going to talk about in detail. And then number nine, there would be a memorial event. This memorial event would come in the cutting of the covenant. There would always be witnesses. People who are there as a witness at this memorial event. Something that would always bear witness and something that you can always point to, to say this is a sign of the covenant that was cut. And the things that were done there would be the planting of trees, the heaping of stones, the erecting of columns. In Noah's case, the rainbow in the sky. But in our case, Romans chapter 8, let's start at verse 14. I want to read it from verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Keep going, please, verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, it says the spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. You know what that verse is saying? That verse is saying God put a tattoo in your spirit that he is in covenant with you. And that tattoo in your spirit is the Holy Spirit that witnesses in your spirit that you are a child of God. It is a symbol. It is a sign that you are in covenant. The spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you are the sons of God. You know, I I, I remember I could only know that witness on the inside the day I became born again. The 5th of August 1978. Even if I had gone to church all my life, I never had that inward witness. It's on that day when I got born again where I could tell inside i the I Jesus ra. I mong because Jesus is my lord. I knew I'm born again. Why? Because God sends the witness of the Holy Spirit. So every time you sense the witness of the Spirit on the inside of you, God is trying to remind you remember you are in covenant with me. Remember you belong to me. Can I hear a good amen? Now Let's come to the communion then. When you take all the Gospels and compare them side by side, you'll note that in every chapter in the Gospel that talks about communion, the story begins with Judas Iscariot. Every instance. And I want to read that to you and show you, and that's important. Keep that in mind. That's important. Before they could tell us what Jesus did, they start with Judas. Because there's a reason why it starts with Judas. Let me read for you. Now, I'm not going to read everything for you. You'll read at home, right? But I'll read what's pertinent to what we're talking about right now. In Matthew 26, you can read from verse 14. It says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests, right, Continue, verse 15. And said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And notice says, and they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Keep that in mind, I'll come to that. So, this is on the day when Jesus was just about to go and have communion with them. So Judas, before he went to the table of communion with Jesus, he went somewhere else. And the verse... The text tells us, the chief priest asked him that he must deliver Jesus unto them. The word deliver means to betray. It means the handing of someone to their enemies. So Judas is carried, fully knowing that he is going to go into a table of covenant, where people love and embrace one another, yields, to the compulsion to betray his covenant brother. And in verse 15, it says they covenanted with him. This means that before Judas went to the covenant of holy communion, he participated first in the covenant of unholy betrayal. And Judas knew what he was doing. And it's amazing when you read further, when Judas finally came where Jesus was to point out who Jesus is to the chief priests. He said, the one that I'm going to call, the one I'm going to kiss, that's the one. And when he saw Jesus, he called out, master. And that word, master, it's an interesting word. Is the word rabbi or master teacher. When you read about Judas, everywhere where he talked to Jesus, not once did he ever refer to Jesus as Lord. He recognized him as a great teacher, but never submitted to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man partakes in this holy covenant meal with a heart full of betrayal, and a hundred not submit. But he sits at the covenant meal as though everything is okay. Mark 10, Mark chapter 14, verse 10. It says, and Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. That's how the story of communion starts. That's how the story of communion starts. In Luke 22, verse 3 says, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Verse 5, he he covenanted with them. So he's making a covenant because Satan has entered his heart. But you know, the, 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 the saddest part for me is the, the account in the book of John. Because it's, it's in John where, on that night, before Jesus served on communion, John tells us he washed their feet. <laughs> Jesus washes the feet of the man that he knew was going to betray him. That goes to show you the far-reaching mercy of God, how God will give you a chance to repent and turn from your wrong. But that gets to show you how Jesus understood what covenant means, what love means, that love will love its enemy. Love will reach out to one who's going to betray you, and you will still wash his feet. You still put a towel on you, you still go on your knees, you still wash their feet in a position of serving Him. The mercy of God extended to Judas one more time, giving him a chance to repent. But the Bible says in verse 18, verse 21, verse 27 Satan entered into the heart of Judas. And the name for Satan there is means the one who hates, the one who accuses, the one who slanders, the one who conspires against. It means an an adversary. Jesus had something in his heart against. Judas had something in his heart against Jesus. And even if Jesus knew it, and even if Jesus knew he's going to smile in front and smile looking at me and step me in the back, I'm going to watch his feet anyhow, because I understand what covenant means. And in verse 28 and verse 29, I want it on the screen there. It's an amazing text, John 13, verse 28 and 21. Go back to verse 27, verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. After eating communion, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said unto him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Look at the next verse. No one at the table knew what intent he spoke unto him. Nobody knew what Jesus was talking about. Watch, another step of mercy. Jesus still challenges Judas, but he doesn't talk in such a manner that people understand he speaks in coded language. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Love doesn't expose. Covenant doesn't expose. That's why our people today, people don't understand covenant today. They like to expose. They like to humiliate. They like to be slanderous. They like to do all these things. But Jesus, even when he knew what was going on, he still speaks encoded language and still tries to extend a hand to say, will you change your ways? Nobody understood. Verse 29. Look at verse 29. It says, for some of them thought because Jesus had the back that Jesus had said unto him. But those things that we have needed against the feast that he should give to the poor. They thought because Judas was handling the money, maybe there was an issue there. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But Jesus was trying to talk to his covenant partner. Bro, how can you sit with me at the table of covenant whilst you have a heart full of betrayal? How does that happen? And that is the context. Of partaking of the communion in an unworthy manner. When you approach the table of the Lord. Which is a covenant meal. But you are sitting next to your covenant brother and sister. And you have something against them. A heart full of bitterness and unforgiveness. And you sit there and you still partake of the Holy Communion fully knowing there's a lot of unresolved things. And Jesus was saying, I want you to see what I'm doing today. I want you to understand what I'm doing today. This is about covenant. Don't take it lightly. Don't just look at the bread and the wine. Simple elements that are symbolic. There's a lot of power and a lot of supernatural power that goes with that. Please don't treat it lightly. Paul takes it further in First Corinthians 11. In verse 23 says, I've received from the Lord what I'm speaking to you. That the same night in which he was betrayed, look, he starts with Judas. He's not going to talk about communion before he talks about Judas. It's, you have to tie it to Judas. You won't understand it if you don't put Judas in there. says, I've received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. I like it because if you look how Paul talks about communion, it is exactly how Jesus taught about it. Remember, when Paul was speaking about communion, there were no manuscripts that had written down what Jesus had said. So he received what he received by divine revelation. And when you look at it side by side, scripture by scripture, act by act, it's, it's totally identical. It says, I've received from the Lord that which I've delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. Same night he was betrayed. It says he took bread. That same night, meaning the night he was betrayed, the night he was handed over by Judas Iscariot, the night they sat around the table, The night Jesus gave him bread, the night Jesus gave him wine. First century believers understood the bread and the wine. They understood what Jesus was doing. Judas sat right there, knowing fully well what was going on. In verse 24, he says, not only did he take it, verse 24, please, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take it, this is my body. Which is broken for you. When people entered into covenant, they would speak these words. They would say, This is my body. In other words, all I have, all my possessions, all that is mine, I give it to you. I'm laying down my body, represented by this bread. But in the case of Jesus, not only was the bread given, the bread was broken. He takes the bread and he breaks the bread because Jesus is making an announcement that not only am I giving my body, but my body is going to be broken. It's going to be broken on the cross. It's going to be broken when I get scourged. It's going to be broken when they pierce me. It's going to be broken when they drive the nails in my body. It's going to be broken when they drive the thorns on my head. My body is going to be broken, but it's not broken for me. It is broken for you. And this body is broken for you because in covenant I am purchasing certain rights. I am buying certain benefits for you. I am making certain blessings available to you. My body is going to be broken. Isaiah writes about it many years before Jesus died on the cross. He says in Isaiah 53 verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs our sickness, our weakness, and our distress, and he has carried our sorrows and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as with prophecy. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and our well-being was upon him. And with his stripes that wounded him, we are healed and we are made whole. Isaiah is saying... The breaking of the body was meant to buy healing for us, wellness for our body. It was meant to buy fullness of recovery in our body. Child of God, you are in covenant with God. There's no need for you to walk around with sickness and disease because your covenant brother, Jesus, he carried it for you. Am I talking to somebody in this house? There's no need for you to walk around with that incurable disease. There's no need for you to be bound in any way. Your covenant brother, Jesus Christ, carried your diseases for you. But that word weakness also speaks of not only weak in the body but it speaks of lack of finances poverty bible says he became poor for our sake ah oh, come on that we through his poverty might be made rich mama you have a right to prosper financially Oh, I thought I'll hear a better amen during December when we want to buy Christmas presents. I said you have a right to prosper. knows that poverty can be a vicious cycle that binds you and destroys you and pushes your life down. God knows that poverty can be generational. It can move from one generation to the other. God knows how poverty can destroy how you think, can destroy how you operate. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, whose body was broken, whose body was torn apart. He was buying something. He was there to come and break you free. And Jesus, when he preached, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I want to see the poor coming out. Somebody shout, I'm free in Jesus' name. You have a right. Because it is your covenant benefit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I wish I can just stay there for a while. Some of you are born. But listen, it's not a matter of be us being covetous. It's a matter of what God has provided for us. I told you a minute ago when I read you, are blessed with all spiritual blessings. Somebody say, I'm blessed. I think in the new year, I'll talk about finances like I promised you this year. I'll talk about it. The curse of poverty. It takes the anointing to break poverty. Of course, in other things, but you got to have the anointing. To deliver you from poverty and deliver even your thinking from poverty. Can I hear a good amen in the house? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus says, this is my body. These are exactly the words that are spoken. Let's have that verse again, verse 24. This is my body. He says, "He says, which was broken for you, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Listen to what he says. Do this. This do. This do. This do. That expression, this do, means this very thing. It means do it creatively. It means carry out. Do it. He says, do it in remembrance of me. The word remembrance there means to repeat something over and over again to recall, to be mindful, to recollect, to remember. Do it, do it, do it. Jesus commands us to partake of communion. He says, do it. Jesus was not in this instance therefore, giving just a ritual but a lifestyle. He was saying, what I'm doing for you now, in the cutting of the covenant, through the bread and the wine, As I enter into covenant, I want this to be a lifestyle for you. Be covenant people. Every time you meet, do it and remember covenant. And remember you are in covenant with me and you are in covenant with one another. Do it as covenant people. Do it as a lifestyle. I'm cutting a covenant with you. I'm commanding you to learn to live in covenant with one another. And the greatest covenant Jesus gave us is in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you. He says, this is the highest form of covenant. People who are in covenant walk in love with each other. You don't do the Judah stuff. You don't do the betrayal stuff. Because you are in covenant with one another. You love one another, even as I have loved you. Jesus says I loved him even when he was betraying me I loved him even when he was smiling on the one side And stepping me on the other side I loved him even if I knew he was on his way To tell the priest about me I loved him even when he called me master And there was hypocrisy in his heart In the same way I loved you I wanted to love one another He's giving us a higher level of love He's telling us human love will not cut it Human love will not sustain covenant Stogger love won't do it. Phileo will not do it. Only Agape will do it. It's a love that loves not because of, but in spite of. It's a love that doesn't love because it's loved back. It loves even when it is not loved back. It is a love that is committed. It's a love that lays its life down. He says once you do that for one another and you lay your life down for one another and you stay in covenant with one another as God's children, people will look at you and say even if I don't believe in your God but I see God in the actions that you are having today. He says do it in remembrance because my kingdom is a kingdom of covenant. If you don't have a heart of covenant in my kingdom, it will never work for you. The principles will never work for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And in verse 25, he says, And this, verse 25, after the same manner, also he took the cup. Watch, he supped and he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Watch, this do as often as you drink it. Somebody say, As often as you drink it. Yes, you. Say it again. Yes, you. Say it again. Yes, you. It's very interesting. He didn't say, We do it often with the bread. He says, do communion often. But with the bread, he didn't say do it often. He says, do it often with the wine. Why? It looks like you'll give me an answer, my brother. <laughs> you know, when I read this, I thought, you know, I thought I knew, I knew, I thought I understood the Bible. And I'm going to look at the couple in Yalang. This is for you. Iwile right in front of me in the middle of the screen. This is, this is a present, my brother, for you, for both of you. This is really the best present you'll ever get. The giving of your possession and the making of a covenant in giving your all and giving your possession is a one-time event like he gave them the bread and he never mentioned often. But when he gave them the wine, he said, as often. Watch. The bread is the body. The bread is the promise. The bread is, I give you my all. The wine is the blood. The wine is the commitment that will keep the covenant. Yeah. Watch, watch, watch. The wine as a symbol of blood. You are saying, I'm going to sacrifice to sustain the covenant. Uh, next week. Next week. Friday. You better know when you're in trouble. You better know when you trouble. trouble. 16, this is what you're going to do on the 16th. I do. Whether I do, I You merit, I'm giving you my all. Mara. To sustain that I do. There's a bloody sacrifice that goes with that. That the sacrifice of the laying down of the life, the sacrifice of keeping the marriage covenant alive, the sacrifice of saying, I'm sorry, the sacrifice of saying, I love you, the sacrifice of saying, I am wrong, the sacrifice of saying, I am repent. In other words, you say, I do once. Mara, to sustain that, I do it many times. You do it often, often. Very often in to you'll have to say, I'm sorry. Very often, you have to say, I love you. Very often, she has to say, I love you, I'm sorry. You sustain it. Many people haven't understood covenant because they want covenant, but they don't want the sacrifice. But you can't have covenant without sacrifice covenant goes with blood. It goes with laying your blood down. Remember, the wine which is a symbol of the blood comes by the crushing of the fruit of the vine, the grape. So there has to be a crushing of sacrifice. A crushing of laying your life down. In the same way when oil, the anointing oil was made, when they brought the the olive the olive seed and it was brought in When you handle the seed, there's no oil there. When you look at the seed, there's no value there. You have to take this seed and put it in a mill and crush it. And it's in the crushing of the seed of the olive where the oil comes out. Because most people don't understand that what sustains covenant is the crushing of sacrifice, is the crushing of commitment, is the crushing of hard work. When they made the holy anointing oil to, to anoint and the perfume to, to put it in the holy anointing oil, the seeds from which the perfume were made out of had to be crushed. It's in the crushing that the goodness comes out of it. But we're living in a time where people don't appreciate Covenant. They don't understand that covenant means you have to sacrifice. You have to humble yourself. You have to be loyal. You have to be truthful. You can't have a Judas Iscariot heart and sit at the table of covenant. You cannot have betrayal in your heart. You cannot speak evil of the other person. You cannot enter into covenant if you are not willing to pay the price and pay with your own blood. You can only sustain covenant when you pay with your own blood. And Jesus says, I am doing this and I want you to do this not as a observance of sacrilege do it as a lifestyle. Understand that my kingdom is sustained by covenant. And then Paul comes later when he talks to us and he says in line with that when he talks to the church in Ephesus covenant brothers take this as a letter to you Grace Bible Church to you as a member. Paul writes to the church. He says, don't use foul and abusive language. You are in covenant with one another. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Note verse 30, and do not bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit. The King James says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by which you were sealed. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by which you are sealed. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by which you are sealed. You remember the seal in your heart? You remember the tattoo that God put in your heart called the witness of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is in your heart to witness and to help you live out the covenant life. That's why when you are being funny to somebody and you think you're right and you've given them a piece of your mind, even after you have given them a piece of your mind, when you go home, there is something on the inside that is gnawing at you, that is saying, When you have a stinking attitude that you're trying to hide, you are not comfortable about it. When you have gotten around the wrong crowd and they are gossiping and they are talking all kinds of things, the Holy Spirit on the inside doesn't give you any rest because it It is the Holy Spirit on the inside who tries to give you on the straight and narrow of the covenant so that you do not become a Judas Iscariot. He says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. I think as the church we will be the most powerful, powerful people if we were to obey what Jesus said. But church people fight. And yet we'll, and we will come and sing with your beard, and we will drink and partake of the holy communion of a covenant meal when we are not treating our brother well. Oh, yeah, thanks my God And Paul says, if you are doing that, you are partaking unworthily. Yeah. You are partaking unworthily. Says, so "Let all bitterness, anger, strife, rage, harsh words, all types of behavior, be taken away from you. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Watch it goes back to the covenant of Christ, just as God through Christ has forgiven you." read in chapter 5 verse 1, imitate God. Therefore in everything you do, because you are his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. A lot of people in church don't understand the importance of drinking this cup. They make covenants. They make commitments. They commit to work in church, volunteer, be part of the church. People get into marriage. People get into relationships. But they don't walk to walk out the the, the covenant. The acid test of being covenant people and matured Christians is not the cross we wear on our neck. It's not the uniform we wear. It's not the collar we wear. The acid test of our maturity is demonstrated by how often we drink this cup of sacrifice. How often we walk in love and remain united as the family of God. Jesus says, remember what I did. I didn't just hand you the bread and the wine, but I made a commitment. I literally didn't just give you the bread and the wine. I went to the cross. I died and I sacrificed my life. I gave my life to empower my commitment. I had to lay down my life to empower my covenant. He says, learn from me. Back up your promises with sacrifice and commitment. Don't do it lightly. Let me conclude. It says that he who partakes unworthily, doing it the Judas way, partaking of communion while you have betrayal in your heart, strive unresolved issues with your fellow brother, with your wife, your husband, with your pastor, your church member, with your fellow worker, your sister, your family member, community worker, while receiving communion, also whilst you are living in sin, And you're breaking every law in the book of God. And you're not honoring covenant. Because that's what Judas did. He didn't honor covenant. Receiving communion. When you're not even born again. God says it's unworthy. He says, but let a man examine himself. The word examine means test yourself, inspect yourself, scrutinize yourself. Determine the quality of your sincerity. It speaks of an object that passed the test so it can be viewed as genuine and sincere. The word examine meant people who used to run for public office after people had examined them and they've given them thumbs up. God says examine yourself. I like that fact that he says examine yourself. He doesn't say examine the person next to you because that's what we like to do. We're very good with other people's sins and other people's wrongs, but we don't, we don't, we don't see the we don't see the splank in our eye. Examine yourself. It says if you don't examine yourself when you drink, you drink damnation. That word damnation, it means judgment. It says because you're not descending the Lord's body, the, the word descend means you don't have the ability to judge and to be truthful. You don't understand what you're doing. You don't have the capacity to appreciate what covenant means. You don't understand the weight of what you're doing. You don't place the right value on the Lord's body. In other words, Jesus did what he did. You don't value what he did. He says, therefore, for this cause, for those who are partaking unworthily, many are weak. That word weak pictures a wide range of infirmities. It's an all-encompassing term that embraces all forms of sickness, disease, and weakness. Are you saying, Bishop, I can eat communion and end up being sick because I did it unworthily? That's what the word says. People go to the communion table lightly. Like someone entering into covenant without thinking about it. Like a drunk person getting into marriage, waking up the next morning with someone next to them. And they don't know what they did the night before. God says, before you partake of communion, which is a covenant meal. Examine yourself. If not, you'll become weak, sick, diseased. But that word weak also means to be financially poor. In other words, partake in communion unworthily. That's on a straight. It also conveys the idea of something that's fragile that must be treated with extreme care. He says many are weak, but then he goes further. He says, and many sleep. Wow. That word sleep denotes deep sleep. But that word also speaks of a coma and death. In other words, we can get into premature death just by not considering what we're doing when we have communion. It's not just the bread and the wine. It's not just the natural elements. There's a supernatural element to it. But as I close, here's what I like. It says, let a man examine himself. And then let him drink. The good thing is this. Before I can partake of Holy Communion, I should take time to examine myself. And if there's a place where I've done wrong, 1 John nine. If you confess our sins, he is faithful. That's a covenant term. And he is just. That's a covenant term. Watch. To forgive us our sins. Not only to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you take a moment and examine yourself and confess your sin between you and God. You don't have to tell your neighbor. God is faithful to forgive you your sin. It's the nice thing. Partaking unworthily releases weakness, disease, and death. Partaking worthily releases healing, soundness. Which means today as you partake in Holy Communion, after examining yourself, you can receive healing. You can receive deliverance as you partake of Holy Communion. It means today as you partake of Holy Communion, God can break the cycle of poverty in your life and God can wipe away the color oh, am I, Am I talking to people? It means today there's a power... It means as you partake of Holy Communion, God can fill you with new life. God can revive you. God can renew you. God can strengthen you. It means every month when we partake of Holy Communion, we are once more reaffirming our covenant. We are once more refilling ourselves with the power of God because we do so in a worthy manner. And so today, as the ushers are saving us communion right away, I'd like for you to Take those elements in your hands and hold on to them. And please wait for me to give you further instructions. But today is a day where you and I are going to experience the fullness of what God has in store for us. Hallelujah. (laughs) he